Well, welcome. I'm uh, glad that you are gathered here with us this morning. If you, this is your first time, I'd uh, love to meet you, um, introduce myself and get to know you. Uh, if you have questions about our church, uh, you can ask one of our members. Um, they should be able to fill you in uh, pretty well. Uh, but today we're finishing our series on the solas of the Reformation. Um, today we're going to look at soli deo gloria, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Um, now I'm going to make a lot of cross references today as we seek to understand soli deo gloria, uh, but we're going to spend a large portion of our time looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. So if you have a Bible, which uh, if you don't, we have some in the back. Um, we'd love to give you one. But turn with me to Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. If you're new to the Bible, it's all right. Romans is in the New Testament. It's toward the back. Don't be afraid to ask somebody beside you, uh, where do I find that? So I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to pray and ask God for his help. I'm reading from the ESV, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, reads this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the truth that uh, we have. Um, Lord, thank you that uh, you did not leave us wondering, but you have given us your word, special revelation of who you are and what you've called us to be. Lord, help us today as we look at this idea of soli deo gloria, this idea that everything we do, that salvation is for your glory. That our lives are meant to be lived for your glory. So, Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? By your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So the past four weeks, we have looked at the solas, which have rightly taught us that Salvation is only by grace, through faith, in Christ, and that is according to the Scriptures alone. And today we're going to look at the reason for our salvation. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You ever asked the question, if you're in here and you're, you're saved, you ever asked the question, like, why am I saved? Why would God save me? There are different 
views that would answer that question in many different ways. But the reformers were convinced, as am I, that the Bible clearly teaches that we are saved for the purpose of the glory of God alone. See, soli deo gloria is the main point of the solas. It's where they're, they're pointing to. It's where they're pushing us to be. See, we are saved by grace, sola gratia, so that what? No one can boast. So we, we can't say it's something that we did. We are saved through faith, not by works. And this faith is something outside of us. It's not that we believe that, that we can believe enough to be saved. We can have enough faith just to, to exercise and, and to put our trust in Christ. No, it's the object of our faith, which is important, Christ alone. And all of this, right, is a, in accordance to the Scriptures, which is God's Word. It's all His plan, all His glory. See, we get no credit. We can never say, well, God saved me because I'm pretty awesome. God saved me uh, because I said the prayer. God saved me because of something I did. Look at what I have done. You know, that type of attitude lends itself to suggest that you are smarter than those that don't believe, right? Well, I've made the decision, and they haven't. It's, I'm, a, I'm a little bit better than them. See, the, the point, the purpose, the soul is, and what the Bible rightly teaches is that God gets the glory, not us. It's nothing we have done. The Bible teaches that before God acts on our behalf, we are spiritually dead. Pastor Brandon touched on that the first couple of weeks looking at sola gratia, sola fide. We're spiritually dead. Like, we're flatlined. Like, we can do nothing. We're unresponsive. But God, in his kindness, he saves a people for himself. It's not because he had to. It's not because he needed to. They were perfectly fine in the perfect union of Father, Son, Spirit. They didn't need us, but rather he does it to glorify himself. The prophet Isaiah says in 53.7, Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And Isaiah, the prophet, was prophesying what the Lord was telling him, and he says, whom I formed and made. So God's purpose in creation, according to this text, was what? For his glory. John 17, 4, we read, I glorified you on earth. This is Jesus talking. He's praying the high priestly prayer. So he's talking to God, the Father here, and he says, I I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
I accomplished the work that you sent me to do. I mean, the implications here are simple. That Jesus Christ, God the Son, glorifies God the Father by accomplishing the work of salvation. I've glorified you, Father. So God's main purpose in salvation is His glory alone. But what is God's glory? What do we mean when we say God's purpose in creation and salvation is for His glory? Now, the Bible speaks of God's glory in kind of two major ways. There's some other nuances, different things that are said, but uh, two major ways that the Bible talks about God's glory. And uh, one is this. In in one sense of the word glory is the glory of God as an attribute of God. It, It is something that He is, right? So God is glorious. It signifies perfection, signifies separation from all things. There are none like him. I once heard it said like this, that God's glory is God's holiness on display. His glory is his holiness on display. Uh, Remember what Isaiah says Uh, that one angel is crying to another in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. It's His glory that fills the earth. We see it in so many ways. The glory of God is something that is, that can be, seen an attribute of holy creator God. In another sense, the word glory is used to mean honor or excellent reputation. Uh, Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology writes this. He says, in this sense, the glory of God is not exactly an attribute of his being, but rather describes the superlative honor that should be given to God by everything in the universe. Close quote. So in this sense, God's glory, or glory is something that is due to God. It's something that is naturally owed to the creator of all things because he is glorious. Turning back to the prophet Isaiah in verse 8 of chapter 42, we read, he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. He says, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God says, I should be the recipient of all glory. No carved idols, no false gods, no No false idols that we elevate in our own lives at time. God says, it's it's my glory. 1 Chronicles 16, 28 through 29 writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory 
and strength. Verse 29, he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. He is due glory. He says, Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Why do you think we have to be reminded to give God glory? Well, because ever since the fall of man, we've become glory thieves. We love glory. We want glory for ourselves. We want praise. We want to be exalted. We want to build our own little kingdoms that, that we can just say, mine. I'm in control. It's hard for us to give something that we want to someone else, right? It's tough especially when it's something that's outside the bounds of our control. We want credit. We want glory. We want the glory that God deserves. I mean, remember back in Genesis 3 how Satan tempts Adam and Eve. What does he say to Eve? He says, surely you will be like God if you eat from this tree. You'll be, you'll be like God. You'll, you'll know good and evil. You'll be like him. And ever since then, we still want the same. In their day, the Reformers were convinced that the Roman Catholic Church was attempting to usurp the glory of God by adding to the biblical means of salvation, which is by grace through faith in Christ, according to the Scriptures. They were adamant in their exhortation that salvation is by God and for God. This is what soli deo gloria summarizes so well. That's what we're going to focus on for the remainder of our time, giving God the glory that is due. Kind of that second sense of the word. So let's look at Romans chapter 11. Verses 33 through 36. Now, let me just put this in its proper context here. Um, in these verses, uh, we come to a closing doxology. And a doxology is an anthem of praise. And what Paul is doing here, he's just spent chapters 1 through 11 really building this dynamic theological treaty of, of how we are saved. He's been expounding a comprehensive explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ through these first chapters. After this doxology, he kind of goes on to how now we live. How do we respond to the fact that we've been saved? But here in this portion, we see doxology, a praise. Uh, the book of Romans is a theological masterpiece. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do so. But Paul gives praise to God for the way that he has orchestrated salvation. The salvation that he has just so clearly explained. And I want us to see four points as we look at this text. And my prayer is that these four points will help us to see the heart of Soli Deo Gloria and compel us to live lives committed to the glory of God alone. First point, first thing I want us to take note on, 
Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, we give glory to God because he is the quintessence of knowledge. We give glory to God because he is the quintessence of knowledge, meaning that he's the perfection. There's nothing better. There's no one that can do it better than God. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. What Paul is saying here is that this is an extraordinary knowledge. (laughs) This is something that is perfected. I think one hindrance to giving God glory is that we often put him in a category with us when it comes to knowledge. We, we, We don't understand it, so we automatically uh, go to an idea, or we take in an idea that would say, well, since I can't understand it, it must not be true. We often had, have a mentality that also says, well, I wouldn't do it that way. So there's no way that God would do it that way either. Uh, sometimes we take the hard truths of Scripture, Right? We take hard things and we try to comprehend it through our own knowledge rather than the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. Oh, the depths, Paul says. Uh, This is a statement that means human understanding is inadequate to do justice to God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. Paul goes on, he says that his judgments, so the way that God judges the world, the way that God judges sinners, the way that God judges all of humanity, we're not going to understand it fully. He says his ways are inscrutable. This just means that simply put, Our human knowledge cannot begin to match, let alone exhaust God's knowledge. We we won't get it. Now, by God's grace, he reveals things to us by the power of his spirit, through the power of his word. But there are many things that we will not understand on this side of eternity. Brothers and sisters, I must ask you, I had to ask myself, right? Am I robbing God of his glory by means of failing to acknowledge his perfect wisdom? And look, that's applicable really to anywhere you are in your life right now. Are you trying to impose your own knowledge on God? Or are you allowing God's knowledge to be imposed on you? Through diligent study of God's word, through diligent commitment, devotion to brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to spur you along, that are going to encourage you to walk in your faith, to finish the race that was set before you. Are we robbing God by thinking 
by demoting his knowledge, putting it on a level of ours. I'm afraid we often do. I mean, it's a question we must all ask, especially in a world that aggressively, I'm not, they aggressively suggest that we trust human knowledge, not God's. The world will tell you, right? Oh, you're crazy for believing that. You're, you mean you, you really think there's a heaven and a hell? You mean you really think that God cares about who gets married? You mean you really think that, that, that God cares about, you know, uh, how we engage with uh, ethnic difficulties, tensions? The Bible would tell us God does. You mean, you mean that, that, that God really cares that how we love one another? As long as you're not bothering anyone, right? As long as what you're doing isn't bothering anyone else. That's the world's mentality. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us to trust the knowledge of God. Trust his word. Second point I want to make is that we give glory to God because God needs nothing. He needs nothing. It's in verses 34 and 35. Look there with me. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? As Paul continues in this doxology, he asks a rhetorical question here, right? (laughs) He says, uh, guess what? God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything tangibly. No one's ever given him anything that now all of a sudden he owes. He says also uh, he doesn't need anything mentally, right? (laughs) No one's counseling God. God's not asking our permission to act. If you ever sat down with a counselor or you've ever had a a time where uh, you've been going through something, I I think it's healthy for everyone at certain points in their lives to talk and have counsel. It's, It's wise. Usually what happens in a counseling session is you, you sit there and you, you talk and uh, this person helps you to kind of guide and navigate uh, the direction that you should be going. But that's limited to humanity. God needs nothing. He is self-sufficient. <laughs> See, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this truth because we are so dependent. I mean, we're dependent on food. Water, shelter, warmth. We're dependent people. We want to claim that we're so independent. But man, Scripture tells us that we are jars of clay. (laughs) And clay, especially then, I mean, it, it breaks very easily. We're easily broken people. Paul says, who has known the mind of God. Basically what he's saying here is that God's plans are his plans that he will, that will be revealed to us as he sees fit. His mind is not in any need of counsel. He needs nothing. 
He isn't checking with humanity to, to see how humanity would like things to be done. And Paul is laying this out to some folks who weren't very happy to hear that now Gentiles were included in salvation. They weren't happy to hear this. Paul says, God doesn't need you. <laughs> he doesn't need your counsel. God will save whom God will save. Paul continues, he says that God doesn't owe anyone anything. Uh, this whole transactional gospel that a lot of people uh, like to present, well, well, I'm doing this and now God owes me something. God owes you nothing. Paul says, who has given a gift to God that now he needs to be paid back? Uh, this is very similar to God's words in Job 41, 11. You remember the story of Job who lost everything and he's, he's there and he's talking to God and eventually about uh, chapter 39, 38, he's, uh, he's crying out and he's, he's like, all right, God, like, you know, why'd you do this? How does God answer him? Gives him a whole list of, of things that he's created that Job had nothing to do with. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Who is given to me that I should repay them? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It's all his. It's all God's. God does not owe us anything. And brothers and sisters, this is especially true of salvation. The only thing that we have earned is God's wrath and eternal judgment. That's the only thing that we've earned. That's all we are due. God's plan of salvation is by no means a debt to be paid to man. Rather, it is a debt that is paid to God, by God, on our behalf. God does the work. The Father's plan, the Son's action, and now the Spirit sealing, holding, keeping us. God owes us nothing. He has it all. Third observation I want to make we see in the first part of verse 36. The point I want to present is that we give God glory because he is the ultimate origin of all things. He is the ultimate origin of all things. Look at what Paul says in 36, this first part of it. He says, for from him, through him, and through to him are all things. All things. What this tells us is that, that God encompasses the very beginning and the very end. Uh, he is the Alpha and Omega. Paul says it's, it's all his. He says all things. All in the original Greek means all. All things, everything. There is nothing that you have, that you've been given. There's nothing that is in this creation. God doesn't say mine. 
See, all things are from Him because He created everything that exists. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, there was a time where there was nothing but the triune God. There was nothing. There was nothing. There was no sun, no moon, stars. There was no people. There was nothing. God was complete. He was perfectly satisfied. And he needed nothing from anyone. He created the universe out of nothing. There's a term for that, ex nihilio. Out of nothing. God creates. I mean, this is a God that needs nothing from us. He didn't need to make sure he had his building list down. He didn't need uh, to make sure he went to Lowe's or uh, Home Depot and, and got everything he needed. Made sure he had the right tools. No, he creates it from nothing. He speaks, it happens. It's from him. Paul says all things are also through him. Because he sustains and governs all that he has created. I mean, what, what holds the planets in place? What makes sure, if you think of the created world and the uh, just intricacy of it, how deep the ocean is, how far the moon is uh, from the, the earth, and how far the sun is from the earth, and uh, just the intricacies of this universe. And creation demands creator, and God sustains what he created. Uh, John 1.3 says all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made speaking of Christ showing that Christ was there in the beginning as well showing this picture of uh, of a triune God who was perfect so God starts it he sustains it it is through him that everything is created. And finally, Paul says all things are to him because everything exists for his purposes and glory. Everything in the work of creation is for God. Because listen, there was nobody but God himself Nobody equal to himself. Since there was no one there, he couldn't have done it to please anyone else. There's no one that he's counseling. There's no one he's getting information from. He's the triune God says, I'm going to create this for me, for my glory. If you do something, you act on something, you decide you want to paint a picture, first and foremost, it's usually because you want to paint it, you want to enjoy it. Uh, then, as we as Christians will get to do, and we get to do in this time, you share it with others. You glorify. Scripture tells us that we will too be glorified. We'll come to a state of perfection when we are with Christ our Lord. I mean, have you ever thought about that? 
that God creates the world we know so that he can display his glory to glorify himself. It's astounding. It's not about you and me being the the center of God's plans. It's not about us. It's Christ, the center of the plan. It's for his glory, his glory alone. So often we we get this mixed up. We think we're the, the apple of God's eye. And while God loves you far beyond comprehension, brother and sister in Christ, rest in the fact that God loves Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are secure. You are safe. He loves you with a love that is far beyond our comprehension. And he loves Christ. And he, we can rest in the truth that God created this world. God created us. God created the plan of salvation to glorify himself. And that if we are in Christ, we can be secure because guess what? God will always glorify himself. God is committed to his own glory far more than we are. Rest in that truth. Fourth point I want to present to us is that we, will, we give God glory because he will be glorified eternally. He will be glorified eternally. Verse 36b, the second portion here, he says, To him be glory Forever. Forever. Amen. God's glory is not dependent on our response. He will be glorified. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 uh, tells us this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. This is the Apostle John writing of this revelation that he had seen the, the end times. And here's what they're crying out. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then it goes on and he writes in verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. This is John's picture of eternity. They worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God's worship, His glory will be had. 
the crying out, right? Salvation belongs to our God. Belongs to our God. And this was the reformer's cry. This is the point of the solace, that salvation belongs to God. By God's grace, it will be our cry as well, that we will be a people who rejoice in that truth, who don't try to rob God of his glory by somehow insinuating that, that we have done something to earn God's favor, but we will trust in the saving power of God. I want to ask you a serious question. Then I'm going to give us some closing thoughts here in a minute. I want to ask you this, okay? If you've got a pen, write it down. Think about this. But what are you living for? Very simple question. What are you living for? Take a moment. Think about that. What are you living for? Are you living for your own glory? Are you living for God's glory? Better yet, how would your family and friends answer that question for you? If I were to ask, like, hey, what, what is so-and-so's, like, if you were just to say, like, what, is, what do they live for? What would they say? I mean, there's a lot of good things people can say. That's a family man. It's a dedicated mother. It's a get, dedicated uh, single that serves. And those would be good things. But if the end goal is not the glory of God, it can very easily be elevated to a point of harming, damaging, detrimental. Uh, John Calvin once said, right, the, the, the heart is a constant idol factory. Consistently, like, we, we make these idols out of things, and it's not necessarily the bad things that Christians need to worry about. It's some of the good things. It's the good things in our lives that so often take priority. That we can get consumed with them. See, brothers and sisters, we must be a people who are committed to soli deo gloria in all areas of our lives. Not just on Sundays when we gather. Not just when we're with our Christian friends. But always. Paul gives a reminder in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And in context, he's talking a lot about uh, food and drink. He's having conversations with them. Um, but then he kind of gives this general principle to kind of close out his thought in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. And he says, so whether you eat or drink, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. 
I want us to make two resolves as a church family. One, here's what we're going to do. I want to present these resolves, and then we're going to take a moment before we sing. And by God's grace, we will pray. We'll spend some time focusing on those and ask God to help us. The first resolve is that we would live to the glory of God in our corporate worship gatherings. That we would live to the glory of God when we gather together. Uh, The Cambridge Declaration rightly says, um, we deny that we can properly glorify God if our worship is confused with entertainment. If we neglect either law or gospel in our preaching, or if self-improvement, self-esteem, or self-fulfillment are allowed to become alternatives to the gospel. Let us be prayerful. Let us ask God to keep us rooted in truth that glorifies him. Let us ask God and pray that we would never become a church that resorts to pragmatism or or trendiness. But we would be rooted in truth that's pleasing to him. And we remember that God is the object of our worship. It's not about us feeling great about ourselves or Even the question like, how was worship, is kind of a weird question, right? I don't know. Ask God. That's who we were worshiping. It would suggest that we are the objects of worship. God alone is the object. Second resolve that I want us to just pray through is that we would live to the glory of God in our daily lives. And look, this isn't just by words, but by deeds as well. Hey, remember, right, 70 to 93 percent, depending on who you ask, uh, of communication is is nonverbal. So how are you responding to things around you? How do you respond to difficulties? Maybe a bad boss. Maybe it's a bad teacher. Maybe it's unruly toddlers. How do they see you respond to them? Maybe it's an annoying neighbor. Maybe it's just a a bad situation, right? And we, we know those happen a lot. This world is filled with trials, turmoil, hardships of many kind, especially for those who follow Christ. Are you asking God, are you asking the question, does this glorify God before you sit down and watch whatever show? Before you start scrolling mindlessly on whatever social media outlet? Are you asking God, is this pleasing, is this edifying to my walk with Christ? Or is it distracting? Are we glorifying God? Are you managing your time to the glory of God? Husbands, fathers, 
Are you loving your wife and kids to the glory of God? Are you so pressed on your own needs and wants that you neglect what Paul calls us to do to to model Christ who gave himself? It's not about what you need. It's not about how this didn't happen and it made you inconvenienced in whatever way or the other. It's a way that we walk in light of what God has done. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. We show grace because we have been shown grace. Wives, mothers, are you loving your husband and kids to the glory of God? Man, I get it, right? It's, my two kids are crazy sometimes. And it's, it's tough to not respond in a way that, like, can you just stop? I've said it 78 times. Amen, right? But how are we truly, are we pointing our kids to Christ? Are we not just worried about external behaviors and worried about the heart? You know, behavior modification, that's one thing. But a heart that is, is tuned to do the right things because they know it's pleasing to God. and That's a difference. Singles, are you, are you loving those around you? Are you serving one another? Are you helping to fill in the gaps that these tired parents can't quite fill in? Are you using your time to the glory of God? It's a question we must all ask. And look, we're going to fail just go ahead and lay that out there. We are going to fail at times to do all things for the glory of God. Hey, I get that. I know that. I live that. But when we fail, let us be a people that look to the perfection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He never failed. Let us cast our cares Let us ask God to work, to intervene, to change, to move in the way that only he can do all for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you, God, that you know us. You know our needs. You know even our wants. And you know that sometimes our wants are not what we need. So, Father, would you help us in every season of life to to prayerfully ask you, how can I glorify you in whatever situation? Father, help us to always remember That our salvation is all credited to you. It was your plan. It's Christ's action. Fulfillment of that plan. That it was done in a way 
that now we get to have a right relationship with you. Father, help us to always be a people that proclaims soli deo gloria. Lord, as we take just a moment here to pause, to reflect, to think, and to ask you, God, to one, reveal areas in each individual's life where we need to We need to turn. We need to confess. We need to repent. And we need to trust in Christ's perfection. And then, Lord, as we pray and we ask you to continue to guard us, that we would be a people that gather, a corporate gathering, to your glory. Help us, Lord, as we take a moment now to think of that.